Hey, welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both in person and online. Uh, in person, we are meeting at our building on Hill Road in the Milwaukee, Oak Grove, and Gladstone area. And then, of course, online, we live stream on our website, faithonhill.com. The audio podcast version is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill, and the video is always available on our Facebook page. You can also find other podcasts that we release on our Facebook page or our Spotify or Apple podcast streams uh, or our website. And we have our 20-minute Bible study podcast that's a weekly Bible teaching podcast. And we have our Talk About Every Anything uh, podcast, which is a monthly long-form podcast. So uh, you can check those out there. Also, we believe in faith that at some point summer will start and the sun will come out. And so in July, we are planning on having church in the field for the third straight year and looking forward to that. Uh, It's a great vibe. It's chill. It's fun. We're excited to have it. We're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew this morning, and we're coming to one of the more well-known, at least well-known to Christians, parables or stories in the Bible. A parable is a story that is meant to teach a truth. Um, It is a story that paints a picture. And Jesus used parables. And Matthew 13 is the third of Jesus's teaching sections in the Gospel of Matthew. And it is the section that Matthew devotes to the parables of Jesus. And we'll get into why Jesus uses parables in a minute. But it says in chapter 13, verse 1, that the same day, so this is after everything that we were talking about the last uh, couple of weeks in Matthew 12, he went out of the house and went and sat by the lake, that is the Sea of Galilee. And such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while the people stood on the shore. And there he told them many things in parables, saying that a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell onto rocky places where the soil was shallow, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plant was scorched, and they withered because they had no root Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Then the disciples came and asked, Why do you speak in parables? And he replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Now he's speaking of the crowds, the masses, the people who are coming to hear him. Whoever has been given more, and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And this is why I speak to them in parables. And then he quotes, saying, Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hard of hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For the people's hearts have become calloused, and they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and blessed are your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you that many prophets 
and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So why is it that Jesus is teaching the people in parables? It's because they're not getting the message. He has been teaching and preaching in the synagogues, in people's homes, on top of hills, wherever and whenever he can, and they haven't gotten it. He has done miracles, and he has healed people, and he's delivered people, and he has shown the power of God in him. And they have rejected him, or they've said maybe, or they've just done nothing. Sometimes Christians act like if we just had good enough preaching. The problem with the church is that there is not good enough preaching. Are you going to get a better preacher than Jesus? And yet the people rejected him. Other Christians will say, you know, the real problem with the church is that we aren't seeing enough of the supernatural, the miracles of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet we have Jesus himself healing, delivering, casting out demons, the the sick are being healed, the dead will be raised, the whole thing is happening. People still reject it. So Jesus is trying a different approach. And he is bringing people stories in parables. And there's a lot of different reasons why that would be. Some, admittedly, when you first read the prophecy of Isaiah that Jesus quotes, you might think, is God just trying to keep them from knowing? I'm going to speak to them in a parable so that hearing they won't hear and seeing they won't perceive. I'm going to keep things hidden from them. I don't think that that's what this is saying. What I think is going on here is is a couple of things. That Jesus is saying so that no one will have an excuse, so that no one can say, I did not understand. He is speaking in the simplest terms that he can. It's kind of like Michael Scott. Explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old. That's what Jesus is doing. He is speaking in terms that even a child could understand. And yet people still don't get it. He is also speaking in terms that provoke questions. I'm going to say something, and the idea is to draw you out, to ask questions. But there's a third thing that's happening. It's also to bring the deeper things of the kingdom of heaven to those who do believe. There's this tension that goes on in churches. This tension that says, Either we're going to dumb down the message to the simplest form possible for those who don't believe, Or we are going to go as deep as possible. And there are some churches who go as deep as possible. And only people that are well, you know, along in their faith journey have any hope of understanding what's being talked about. Or all that's being given is the simplest child, you know, the baby's milk to to people. And then no one ever grows from there. I think that Jesus would have us do both to preach a simple and clear gospel message, and to bring the deeper things of faith to those who believe that are part of our church. I think you can do both. That's what we're trying to do. So he's trying to make it simple and accessible for the people on the outside. Some Christians seem opposed to that. I can't figure out why, but Jesus wasn't opposed to it. And then at the same time, he's trying to bring deeper truths to those who do believe. And some Christians seem opposed to that. Again, I can't figure out why. So he's 
bringing these two messages, and he tells this parable, this story of a farmer, a sower, somebody who goes out at planting time, and, you know, when we plant crops now, like, it's very intentional. You, 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 you have the rows, and then you go in, and you, you know, they have machines that just inject the, the, the seeds into the soil, right? But back then, it was just, you take a bag of seed, and you scattered. Now, even for back then, this, this sower is not a great shot. You know, he's just throwing it everywhere. And even back then, they wouldn't have done that. So the first thing that somebody in Jesus' day would have said is, hey, wait a minute, why is this guy so bad at farming? That he's just throwing the seed everywhere. You know if you throw it over on the path, it's a waste. Because the ground is hard and compacted, and no seed will be able to break through that hard and compacted soil on a path. There's a reason when we go out hiking in the woods or the mountains. You know, a couple weeks ago, my family went hiking out in the gorge. There's a reason why there's plants and greenery everywhere, but on the path there is nothing. Because over years and years and years of people walking those trails, that ground has hardened and compacted and no seed will break through for long. Jesus says the first place the seeds landed was on the path, on the hard soil. The seed just laid there. And then he says that the birds of the air came and snatched it away. They came and they saw food and they took the seeds and they ate it for themselves. Then he says that there was rocky soil. You know, soil that hadn't been tilled. Soil where the roots could get in but not deep. They couldn't take anything so life came up. But then once the sun came out in the heat of the day the plants withered and died because the the soil was not good for growing. And then he says that there was thorny soil, so the plants grew, took root. But, you know, if you've ever had thorn bushes on part of your property, you could have a nice area, a garden, and then within a year, the thorn bushes have come from where they were to where your garden is, and they can just take over, right? If you're at the church property, you could see that recently uh, Jim Foglio, one of our guys, just went through and beat back uh, where, where thorn bushes had kind of taken over one corner on our field. And, and it's amazing the work that Jim did. Um, but, you know, this, this idea of them coming and choking out all other life, the trees that were growing there, not healthy, the plants that were growing there, overtaken. And then finally he says that some seed landed on the good soil. And it produced a harvest. And then he says something crazy. It produces a harvest a hundred times, 30 times, 60 times what was sown. Now, usually when you throw seeds, right, you get one plant for one seed, right? Jesus says, no, one seed could produce a hundred plants. Something miraculous is happening. So he gives this, this whole story and the disciples come to him and say, hey, what does all this mean? Why are you speaking in parables and what's going on? Do you know why the disciples get the explanation? It's because they asked. It's because they asked. Someone could say, I I tried to read the Bible. I didn't understand. Well, did you ask? Did you keep reading? One of the things that I have noticed time and again in the Bible is when there is something that is not clear or not understood, that if I just literally read to the next page or the page after that, it gets explained. We see this all through the scripture. You might remember last year we studied the book of Daniel. 
Daniel would see a vision and not understand it. And then God would give an explanation. An angel appears and says, Daniel, this is what that vision means. We see this also in Daniel where somebody else would have a vision and God would use Daniel to explain what that dream or vision meant. We see that in the book of Genesis. The Pharaoh has a dream and Joseph is gifted by God to explain what that dream means. We see it in the book of the Revelation where John sees a vision of something that seems wild and crazy and then somebody comes in and says, do you understand what you just saw? And John says, nope. And they say, well, let me explain it to you. There are things within our faith that we do not understand. And by the way, that's a good thing. I don't know what life would be if there wasn't some mystery. And I find that my Christian experience and my life in general is far better when I just learn to accept and embrace the mysterious things of God. But I have also found that as I uh, dive in, and I will have questions sometimes that will not be answered for a while, but as I dive in, then, as I dive in then, I will say, okay, Lord, give me the answer to this. Can I give you an example? Years ago, this is probably 20 years ago, I remember reading a book and somebody was basically positing this idea. It was not a Christian book. It was a um, secular thinker. And they were saying, what if there is a God and he's like the God of this world, but there are other gods, and maybe they're the gods of other worlds, or they're the gods in charge of other things, and they were sort of promoting a, um, a pantheistic view, multiple gods view of the cosmos. And I thought about that, and I said, that's true. The Bible just talks about the god of this world, but what if that there are other gods out there? And so I, I prayed. I remember asking the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't know the answer to that. I don't feel like this interrupts my daily life. There's nothing that I need to know today. But if I could get the answer for that, I would appreciate it. And about two years later, I was done studying a particular part of the Bible, and I said, well, where am I going to read next? And I realized that I had not done any sort of in-depth reading or studying in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And I opened the page And chapter 1 speaks of how God has no one that is above him or equal to him by which he can swear by. And what 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 the writer means by that is when we swear an oath, we swear by something equal to or higher than ourselves, right? We say, I swear on my mother's grave, right? Because we're giving uh, honor and homage to to those who have gone before us, our elders, those we hold in high regard. We swear on the Bible because we understand there's this idea of something greater than ourselves. So when we take oaths, we swear either by something equal to us or by something greater than us. But the writer in the book of Hebrews says that there is no one who is equal to or greater than God. So when God swears on something all throughout the Bible, he swears by his own name. He says, I make this oath on my own name because who else is he going to swear by? Oh, so the Bible says directly that there is nobody equal to or greater than God in the cosmos. That's my answer. And I remember thinking to myself that morning, oh, if I had only read the book of Hebrews sooner. 
Now, I'm not trying to belittle anyone or myself or anyone else. I, I read the book of Hebrews when I read the book of Hebrews. But my point is that the answers to the mysteries of God that we think, oh, I don't know if I'll ever know the answer to that. Oftentimes, it's just by digging in deeper. Digging in deeper in study of God's word. Digging in deeper in prayer. Digging in deeper in worship. Digging in deeper in knowing the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. As I dig in deeper, I find the answers. The, the, the disciples were close to Jesus. Well, I'm not a disciple. What about the people who weren't disciples? There were other people who were close to Jesus. We read about Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. We read about others, faithful women who followed Jesus as he traveled and spent time with him. Do you think that they couldn't ask him questions either? They were the ones who chose to get close. They were the ones who weren't just spectators standing on the shore listening. They weren't the ones who were just hanging around looking for something cool. They were the ones who had relationship and the ones who asked the questions. we got to dig in deeper. Now, what's this whole parable about? Jesus says, listen then, verse 18, to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, excuse me, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that is thrown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and receives it at once with joy, but since they have no root, they only last a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refer to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So he's saying the rocky, that hard soil that, that no seed could penetrate, that's the person who hears the gospel. They hear the message of Christ, and they say, not for me. I don't, I don't know anything about that. And they just walk away. And nothing can penetrate. And there are people who have so hardened themselves towards God, they have so entrenched themselves in sinful rebellion against the things of God that when the light is shown into their lives, they perceive it not as good or pure. They perceive it as wrong or evil or corrupt. And this is that person that just will not bow to Jesus. They, are, they, they hear the message. They, they're, they're shown truth. And they say, no, not a chance. And they push and they push and they push away. This is what was spoken of last week, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. To speak against the testimony of God the Holy Spirit in the lives of a person saying, come to Jesus, repent of your sins. And they say, no, not happening. And then we have the rocky soil. And let me tell you, I've been pastoring long enough and I've just been a functional human as a Christian long enough to have seen all of these things play out. You get the person who has some sort of spiritual experience and it seems like something's taking hold, but then out of nowhere it is gone. You know, I, I have seen people weep, repenting of their sins, saying, oh, I, I, I have prayed a prayer and I am sorry 
and they weep and they say that all, uh, literally, I've seen, I've seen a grown man, huge guy, six foot five, you know, 300 pounds, but like not fat. You know, you've seen that kind of guy. Like I've seen that kind of man weep and repent. And then we never see them again. And I have seen this for 20 plus years now that I have been in ministry. I have seen this over and over and over again. I've seen people just seem to just radiate with joy. And then the first hard thing happens. The first thing that just they can't deal with and they're gone. Then I have, by the way, this is why I personally don't emphasize a sinner's prayer. I mean, that's the way that we're told as American Christians that you become a Christian, right? How do you become a Christian? Well, you pray, you know, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want to let you into my heart. I don't know what that means, but I want that. And will you help me to follow you? Amen. Oh, I'm a Christian now. Now, certainly, certainly there is an act of repentance in that process, And there are people for whom the moment of conversion, the moment of change, the moment of letting Jesus in happens through prayer. I don't discount that at all. But I also know that many have prayed a sinner's prayer and they're like the person for whom the seed fell on the rocky soil and something sprouts, but it dies immediately because it had no root. It had no root. And then there are people who have never prayed a sinner's prayer. But if you look at their life, you say, how can we deny that there is faith? They didn't pray. There wasn't one dark night of the soul. It was like they just started coming to God. And we've seen that in our own church right now. We have people who in the last couple years have become Christians and there was no moment. It was a process over a few weeks or months or even years sometimes. And then it's kind of like, I think I believe. And it's like, yeah, I think you do too. But that soil was deep and good, as opposed to the person who's a flash in the pan. Then it talks about the thorny soil. And I'll be honest, as a pastor, this is the soil I have seen played out the most in the lives of people within the church walls. People who... They have soil, it's deep enough, things take root, you know, life starts to happen, and then it gets choked out by the worries of this world, by the deceitfulness of riches. Now, we may say the deceitfulness of riches, I'm not rich, what are you talking about? But riches have a lot of different forms. How many people have seen the work of God in their lives, and then it is choked out by the idolatry of a career, even if you're not making that much money, but the idolatry of a career and it chokes it out. How many people have seen the work of God and it is choked out by the idolatry of the next generation so that I can keep my, you know, my, uh, my kids happy or what, whatever. And I, I, I understand that I'm not, I don't have time to get deeply into what this looks like. So if you have questions about what I mean, adam at faithonhill.com is my email. But honestly, I just literally, before I came to record this, I saw this on Facebook. Somebody who I knew to be a a devout believer and now totally compromised so that they can say everything's good with my kids. But it's not. And that life and faith is choked out. It's just choked out. But it's not all doom and gloom. It's not. 
Because there is the good soil and the gospel comes and takes root. And here's the truth. Jesus says that it produces fruit 160, 30 times what was sown. I believe this firmly. You know, I grew up admittedly privileged. Now, you wouldn't have thought it to look at my life, right? I grew up, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, we were in, you know, living in a very working class area. Uh, my dad worked in a warehouse. Um, you know, we never had a nice car, all, uh, all that stuff. In fact, sometimes it was like, do we have a car that's running? Uh, I remember eating pancakes every night for a week once and thinking we were awesome because we were eating pancakes every night. And I didn't know it's because we were just broke and I was seven. So I thought that was just amazing. But I recognize that I grew up with a privilege that others don't. I, I remember seeing this for the first time when I was 18 years old. I moved to England. I'd been out of high, I'd just gotten out of high school. I moved to England to work at this church. And even as a kid growing up with challenging circumstances at times, there was no question, oh, you could be president someday, right? Because you get told that. Oh, if you want to be an astronaut, you could be an astronaut, right? Because in America, if you work hard, there is opportunity, right? And then I remember going to England, and no kid growing up in the circumstances that I did gets told that. You aren't told that you can do whatever you want. The bar is set incredibly uh, relative to your station in life. The class system is very prevalent there, and so what you were born into, that is all that is expected of you. And you were born in this neighborhood to this family, then all you will ever do is this. You were born into this neighborhood to that family, then you'll get up here, you know, and so on. It's always capped for you. And people live like that. This is, this is the best that I can hope for, given who I am and where I was born and all of that. But what Jesus says is through the work of God in a person's life, there is no limit. Through the work of God in a person's life, things can change. I believe this so firmly. I really do. I believe in life change through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was talking to a friend of mine years ago, and he was telling me just how he was before he was a Christian. And I said, there is no way that any of your children will believe you. He said, what do you mean? He said, because that's not who you are now. And you be, he became a Christian uh, right around the time his first child was born, and, and they don't remember any of that. And all they've known is their dad is a godly man. That's all they've ever known is their father as a devout follower of Jesus. Another friend of mine, man, he was trouble. And the Lord got a hold of his life, and in his early 20s, he was about 23 years old, and he became a Christian, right? It's the least likely time for somebody to go to church is to be a single dude in your 20s, and that has been true forever, right? We might think, oh, things are bad right now, and people aren't going to church, but forever, the least likely person to be in church is a single dude in his 20s. But my friend became a Christian, and then, you know, God called him into ministry, and he's pastoring, and his daughter, his youngest daughter, and she was old enough to stop going to the kid stuff, and she's sitting in church on a Sunday morning, and he's telling this story of something that he had done before he was a Christian, and she is horrified, jaw to the floor. And then later she tells her dad, you know, I can't believe you did that because she has never known 
this other person. She's never known this man who was breaking into houses to steal drugs and, and all of this stuff. She, had, like, she knew her dad hadn't been a Christian, but to, this person is so foreign to her that she says, how could this be the same person? And it's because of the life change that comes by surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. And I believe that the limits that we put on ourselves or that others have put on ourselves are only nonsense. What is it that God wants to do through me? What is it that I will surrender myself to allow God to do in me? There's no limit. It's only upside. Now, who can change them? Because it says that the rocky soil, something comes up and it's choked out. It says that the seeds that were uh, sown on that hard path, nothing could break through. Is it only people who have good soil? Am, am, I, am I cursed or blessed based off some predetermined thing? Like I get to be a Christian because the soil of my life just happened to be good? Or is it something else? Now, there are people who do have greater opportunities. I 100% believe that. There are people who grow up in homes and there's no abuse and there's a godly family structure and there is a love of God and, and the presence of Jesus is in the home. And yes, I, I would say it's fair to say we have a, a greater chance or we have greater opportunity given to us. But I don't want to say a greater chance, and here's why. Because I grew up in a home where there was no abuse. You know, I was, we weren't, you know, we weren't messed with. We weren't, you know, uh, I mean, there were, there were, it's not like we were a perfect family, right? But I did not grow up in, in a traumatic home life. We had trauma, you know, my dad died, there's a lot of other stuff. But we didn't grow up in that kind of home life. We grew up in a house that loved Jesus. But my brothers did not believe. My youngest brother didn't become a Christian till his early 20s. My middle brother is still not a believer and we pray for him all the time. So what is it then? I believe a couple of things. First of all, I believe in the power of God. When the Bible talks about the power of the Holy Spirit, it uses the Greek word dunamos, where we get the word dynamite from. And I believe that the dynamite power of God can break up hard soil and bring life. The Apostle Paul was on his way to Damascus to imprison and beat and kill Christians. And then Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. How many other people throughout this history, the centuries of God working in people's lives were going one way and then, boom, God said no more. And the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit broke up that hard soil. You know, soil can be fixed too. And so God does his work and something takes root and then the soil is changed. We also have the ability to control the soil of our lives. We have the ability, what are we pouring in? 
You know, God does a work. This is actually something we talked about recently. Jesus said, hey, somebody, somebody's life is full of evil. It's full of sin. It's full of uh, wickedness. It's full of oppression. And God does a work and drives that all out. And everything's cleaned up. But it's not replaced with anything. It just sits empty. The presence of God is not dwelling there. And then when that evil comes back, it returns even seven times worse. Because nothing has replaced what was cast out. I could have the work of God, the presence of God, I could have all of these things happen, but if I don't be diligent to have a surrender to God's love and a surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit and choosing to be devoted in in the basics of prayer and community and worship and, and generosity and all of these things, then it won't be surprising if the soil of my life gets rocky, gets filled with thorns, if the soil isn't producing fruit. God can do the work, but we have a role to play in responding to that work. Like I said earlier, I've been doing this long enough to see that this parable is so frighteningly true because we see how many people You say, oh, you know, people just aren't coming to church. I'm concerned about the people leaving church, not because of some toxic or abusive church culture, although sadly that exists. And I think I have a pretty good track record of being open and honest about that. But because they just have not surrendered their life to God, but they have surrendered their life to seeking out the idolatry of a career. They've given themselves over to substance. They've given themselves over to just seeking themselves instead of seeking Jesus. Here's the good, good and hopeful news, though. How many people was Jesus talking about that were the hard soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, that later the seed took root in good soil in their lives, including some of the disciples? I have so much hope for what God can do in people's lives. I have so much belief in the work of God in the life of a person. There's no woman, there's no man who has sinned so much that Jesus cannot forgive them. There's no one old or no one young who has gone so far that the power of God cannot break up the hard soil and bring new life. And if I believe that is true for me, and I believe that is true for you, if I believe that is true for you, then I believe it is true for the person that you might think of that's like they're too far gone. I have so much hope in what God can do and what God will do if and as we surrender ourselves to him. If you have a prayer, let it be this. Father, thank you that you cared enough to send the seed of the gospel into the hearts of women and men. Thank you that you became human yourself And that as Jesus Christ, you revealed yourself to people. Thank you, Jesus, God the Son, that you submitted yourself to the will of the Father and went to the cross and took the punishment, the justice that my sin deserved. And thank you, Jesus, that you sent the Holy Spirit to empower and comfort your church as we do your work in this world. God the Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill our lives so that we could surrender to you and live in your power, your truth, your love as we go about the work that God has for us. 
And that is a prayer that any Christian can pray. And that is a prayer that any non-Christian can pray. Because the same Jesus who rose from the dead is raising people from the dead even today. God bless you. Jesus is changing lives and he can change yours.